Uh, what's the thing that gets in the way of you accomplishing your dreams or your goals for this year or for your life? How many of you had had to do with time? There's just not enough time. Go ahead and raise your hand. Uh, this is not a rhetorical poll. I mean, I literally want you to raise your hand if that's you. Okay. How many of you had had to do with just your schedule? I'm so busy. I mean, it's kind of related to time. I'm so busy. Uh, what about money? Anyone say, oh man, money is kind of one of the things that gets in the way. Uh, okay. Who would be willing to admit this and just be real honest as we start this year? Uh, how many of you would have something, if you were to be really honest, it's just, I don't want to. That's something that gets in the way. <laughs> if we were to be really honest, like, yeah, I want to lose weight, but really, I don't. <laughs> okay, let's just be honest here in church. Why not go all the way, right? Yeah, all of us have those things that, that can get in the way or make things seem hard or even at times impossible. If you've ever set out to accomplish a goal or to see a dream realized, if you have set out to grow spiritually in your relationship with God, you are going to come up against something that we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks. You are going to face resistance. It's just inevitable. You're going to face some form of resistance. Resistance takes lots of different forms, but it's always the same thing. For anyone who's setting out to accomplish anything of significance or anything of God, you will face real resistance. You need to know that. And you probably already do at some level. And in fact, here's what I would contend. I would contend that if you are not facing resistance, then maybe your goal or your dream is too small. If you're not facing some kind of obstacles or opposition or resistance to it, maybe your dream or your goal is just too small. Or maybe it's possible you're heading in the wrong direction. Because resistance comes with anything big of God or in our life that we set out to do. And what we want to do over the next couple of weeks is rethink resistance, reframe resistance in our everyday lives. In fact, even redefine resistance for what it actually is and what it can be in your life. Now, most of us tend to think of resistance as a bad thing, right? When I'm facing resistance, it's a bad thing. It's something that's against me. We tend to think of it as a bad thing. What I want to push over the next couple of weeks is that it's actually a great thing. That resistance is the evidence that you're in the arena. That at least you're contending for something in or about your life. Resistance actually is a gift. Now I want to show you what I mean. I'm going to ask my friend uh, Laz to come out and join me on stage. So Lazarus Rios, come forth. Can we welcome Laz? If you know him, let him know. We love Laz. Laz is a part of our staff. He's a part of our church. He and Megan for, his wife Megan for years was in our band, but then we just saw this incredible talent and a calling God had put in his life. And he joined our team almost a year ago. Is that right? Almost coming up in a year. Uh, and Laz is our technical director. So all the lights and the sound, you know how everything like, is amazing. You're like, oh my God, it's so cool. That's Laz and his teams that he builds. So we love Laz. I mean, he, all, all this stuff, all Laz throughout the whole building. Okay. But here's what you may not know about Laz. Laz is actually a competitive power lifter. How cool is that? How many of you can say that? In fact, powerlifting is his hobby. That's what he likes to do, all right? I can't even get my butt to the gym, but this man can't wait to go power lift. And so here's what I want. I've asked Laz, I asked him to wear a singlet, but he refused to do it. So uh, what I've asked Laz to do is to demonstrate what resistance looks like. So these are two weights for you, Laz. Be careful. I don't want to make sure you stretch first. All right, Laz, with good form, can you show us how you do some curls? All right. Wow. That's, are you feeling the burn? A little bit. A little bit right now? Okay, so he's holding two-pound weights, and he's doing, I think, a pretty good job. And again, if that's your personal best, there's no judgment here. I'm not judging you. 
I'm just saying I've seen Laz do more. All right? And so if this is all Laz does when he goes to work out, when he goes to train, um, he's going through the motions. He's heading in the right direction. But this is going to change very little about his body or his goals, correct? I mean, this, I mean he could do this for a long time, but it's not going to change much. Until you increase the resistance. Laz, we brought some other weights for you here. Now, this is nothing for Laz, but it may be a lot for you. And so now we've increased the resistance. And so Laz, keep the good form going. So that feels, I'm guessing, a little different. A little different. Yeah, right. Yeah, so heavy. On a Sunday morning, you did not expect to be lifting like this. So for the rest of my message, Laz is going to be doing curls. He didn't know that. He didn't know that when he said yes. But okay, so you can even start to feel a little bit of the burn when you're doing that right. And that is your muscles actually working. Because what Laz knows as a power lifter is that when you increase the resistance, you increase the results. That's just something comes out of increasing the resistance. Well, I didn't say you can, oh, you're done. No, you're done. Okay, you're done. You go ahead and put it back. We thank Laz for demonstrating good form. Thank you, Laz. So you, you get that, right? Like even if you work out, the bike that I work out on has even a knob on it called resistance, right? And so when you change the resistance, you change the workout, and it actually has the power, the potential to bring about real change in your life. That's what we're talking about over the next couple of weeks when we talk about resistance, that it's actually a good thing. In fact, it's a gift even from God. This is what I think James is talking about in James chapter 1 when James says this. He says to consider it, listen to this, consider it pure joy. Now just pause. Anyone who's turned up the resistance knob on the bike, anyone who's added weights to the machine, how many of you consider that pure joy? It's not pure joy. Sometimes it feels like pure torture. But what James is saying is anytime, consider it pure joy, anytime, brothers and sisters, that you face trials, or I would say, I would use the word resistance. Anytime you face resistance, of any kind, because you know that the testing, the pushing of your faith produces what? Produces perseverance. See, when Laz increases the resistance, it enables him to go further, farther next time, right? You know that when your faith is tested or when resistance comes, it actually has the power to grow something in you that might not grow otherwise, perseverance. And James goes on to say, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Isn't that an awesome promise? That there is, in fact, a gift in resistance. That there is an invitation at the very least. And while facing resistance may not feel pleasurable, it can be purposeful. It can do something in you and through you that would not happen Otherwise, see, we all face resistance. And in a second ago, or when I had you talk with each other about what is it that keeps you from, you know, reaching your goals or your dreams, a lot of us talked about resistance that we face out there. But does anyone know where the greatest resistance actually comes from? Doesn't come from out there. The greatest resistance comes from in here. That's where the actual greatest resistance comes from. It's not out there. It's not your boss. It's not your family. It's in here. That's where the greatest resistance comes from. It lives in me. In fact, Stephen Pressfield, in his 
brilliant book, The War of Art, which I would highly recommend for anyone. It's like required reading, The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. If you're in creative endeavors, this is a must read. I would recommend it for anyone because he talks a lot about resistance in The War of Art. And Pressfield says this about resistance. He says, resistance is not a peripheral opponent. It's not something else somewhere else. Resistance arises from where? From within. It is self-generated and self-perpetuated. We come up with it and we keep it going. Resistance is the enemy within. So how do you win? If that's where the war is really raging with resistance, how do you win the war within? How do you win the war with your own self-resistance that comes up for all of us in all kinds of different ways? How do you win that war? We're going to look at someone who faced their own form of resistance and then look at a promise that you can actually apply to your everyday life that can help you begin to win the war within. So here's what I want you to do. Grab a Bible, all right? Grab a Bible and open to Exodus chapter 3. Now listen, there is a Soul City Bible right under your seat. So if you brought one with you, got it on your phone, awesome. If not, we've got you covered. And if you're sitting there going, oh, I don't really need a Bible, that's resistance. Push through it and grab a Bible. It's just, you're going to be glad that you did. In the Soul City Bible, it's on page 46. 46. We're going to look at how we invite God in to our inner resistance that all of us have. All right, Exodus chapter 3. Uh, we're going to start on page 46. Let me give you some quick context, all right? I'm going to give you a story. This is kind of the first couple chapters of the story of the life of Moses, all right? So if any of you have seen the first 15 minutes of Prince of Egypt, you know this part, all right? So Moses was a baby living in a foreign land, and the pharaoh of Egypt was out to commit genocide to murder all the Hebrew boys under a certain age, and so his mother, in desperation, sent him down the river only to be found by Pharaoh's daughter and raised within Pharaoh's court. In fact, Moses, who was meant to be murdered, ends up growing up in the most powerful family in the world. And he's brought in as an adopted son to the Pharaoh. Grows up with great power and uh, all kinds of privilege and all the while has the secret. He's not Egyptian, he's a Hebrew. And at that time, Egyptians were keeping Hebrew people enslaved and using them as slave labor to build their empire. And one day Moses sees the mistreatment of his people, and something wells up in him, a seed of justice that goes a little too far. And he ends up murdering an Egyptian leader who was mistreating a Hebrew. And when word starts to spread of what Moses had done, Pharaoh found out, and he wanted to kill Moses for doing it, wanted to kill his own adopted son for that. So that's some stuff to work out in family counseling. But <laughs> nevertheless, Moses, knowing how powerful Pharaoh was, fled for his life and literally runs into obscurity, goes as far as he can go, ends up becoming a shepherd in a far-off land, right, far from Egypt, and had committed his life. That was going to be the end of his story. We otherwise, without what we're about to read, would not know the story of Moses, really, had it not been for what God does next. So you're familiar with the part where Moses is uh, taking care of his sheep, and all of a sudden he sees a burning bush. There's an angel, actually, a text says, that appears to Moses in a burning bush. The bush is burning, but it's not being consumed. Moses is like, that's cool, and walks over to see what it is. And from the burning bush, God begins to speak to him, and he begins to tell Moses about what he's going to do to rescue his people. He says, God tells him, I have seen the suffering of my people. I have heard their cries. And God says how he is actually going to deliver them. He is going to take 
care of them. He is going to rescue them out of Egypt. And how key God is going to use Moses to do it. That's pretty cool, right? I mean, this is a, a big day for Moses. Well, this is his response. Exodus 3, verse 11. After the burning bush, the angel speaking, God saying all that he was going to do. Look at what Moses says, Exodus 3, 11. But Moses said to God, who am who? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I that I should go back to this land and speak to Pharaoh, which is actually his adopted brother at this point? Who am I that I should go back and do this thing? And I would love this. I love this because if I were God, I'd be like, no, 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 Moses. Okay, remember a second ago, I said that I was going to do it. I have heard their cry. I care about my people. I am going to take care of them. Did you not get the part? Are you not taking notes, Moses? You should get out your tablet and take notes. This is actually really important. So God told Moses again how he is going to do it and how one day, not long from this day, the people of God will actually come back to the mountain, Mount Horeb, where they actually were in this moment of the burning bush, that the people would be delivered out of Egypt and worship God on this very mountain. God's like, how cool is that? Moses, pretty powerful thing. But look how Moses responds. Verse 13, Moses said to God, okay, all right. Just catching up here. Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what's his name? <laughs> then what shall I tell them? Now, again, if you're God, how would you respond to this question? If I were God, I'd be like, seriously? You think that's the question they're going to have is what's on my name badge? Like, that's what you think they're going to ask. And so what God does, he says, okay, okay, you, so you're wanting to know who I am. Even though I just told you all of who I was and all that I was going to do, you still wonder what they will ask you. Okay, here's who I am. And this is what God says to him, powerful moment in the Bible. God says, you, here's what you tell him. Tell him, I am who I am. I am who I am. You tell them that I am sent you. Now, that name, I am who I am, is a powerful, holy, and sacred name of God. It is an all-encompassing reality. God says, you want to know who I am? I am all of it. I am everything. The alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end, the author and perfecter of it all. I am who I am. I am is who is sending you. In fact, the Hebrew words that he would have heard, Moses would have heard, is yad Hey vav Hey, which is where we get the name Jehovah from. Such a sacred and holy name for God, in fact, that no one would speak the name Jehovah out loud. In fact, they wouldn't even write the whole name Jehovah out when they were scribing out and writing out the Bible because it was considered so holy and so sacred and so perfect of a name for God. God has a name. He says, my name is I am who I am, Jehovah God. In fact, did you know this, that when uh, Hebrew scribes were copying the scriptures and they would get any to this point where God gives himself the name of Jehovah, they would actually stop with the quill that they were writing, put it down, get a brand new quill that had never been used before, write the letters, just about like half of actually the name, like an abbreviation for Jehovah, then break that quill and throw it away so no other word could ever be written by that quill. That's how powerful the name of God is. This is a holy moment where God says, you know who I am? I am who I am. You tell them that I am is sending you. That is all you need to know, Moses. That's a that's a pretty cool moment right there. This is a holy moment that we have right here in this story. Then cue the long pause and jump down to chapter 4, verse 1. Moses, missing this moment, 
answered, okay. But what if they don't believe me? Like, what if they don't listen to me and, and, and say, the Lord did not appear to you? Like, what do I do then? He's going full George McFly in this moment, right? He's like, I don't know, do you really think God? So he's really having a hard time seeing the bigger picture. And again, if I were God, thank God I'm not. But if I were God, I would have to take a deep cleansing breath and move forward with Moses. In fact, God does move forward with him. And he goes, okay, here's, here's, here's what we're going to do. Okay, Moses, you need some evidence. I get it, right? I got it. I'm God, you're not. Here we go. Okay, uh, Moses, you see your staff, the one that you lead all the sheep with? Moses is like, yep, it's right here. Love it. It's my favorite staff. God goes, awesome. Uh, throw it down on the ground. And so Moses takes the staff, throws it down on the ground. If you've heard the story, you know what happens. The staff turns into a snake and starts slithering around on the ground. Now, if I were Moses in that moment, I'd be like, that's pretty cool, God. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Do it again. Right? So it's there slithering around on the ground. But then God goes to the next step. And God says, okay, now pick that snake up. And if I were Moses at this point, I'd be like, I'm out. And I'm out, God. I'm out. And I'm out because I'm not going to touch a snake. But Moses has enough faith to at least grab a snake. The second he grabs a snake, it turns back into his staff. How cool is that? God's like, I'm not done yet. Moses, pull out your hand. He pulls out his hand. He goes, all right, put your hand in your cloak. Moses puts his hand in his cloak, says, now pull it out. He pulls it out, and it's, his hand is literally covered in leprosy, plagued by leprosy, skin, boils, pulse, like absolutely terrifying sight. Moses is like, what did you do that for? And then God goes, okay, put it back in your cloak. He puts it back in his cloak. He says, pull it out. He pulls it out. It's completely healed. And God says to Moses, that's just the opening act. We're still backstage. You ain't seen nothing yet, Moses. If you need signs or evidence of who I am, look what I can do right here, right now in this moment. This is a powerful, pretty cool moment for Moses, right? Long pause. Jump down to verse 10. Moses said to the Lord, oh, pardon you, servant Lord. Look, here's the thing. I've never been eloquent. Like, I'm not good at the talking part. Neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech. Like, I'm not, I can't come. Like, anytime there's a comeback, it's like five minutes till I come up with one. I'm not very good. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. After all that God had done this moment, the burning bush, literally having a conversation with Moses, the staff, the hand, and now Moses is saying, I don't know, God, I'm not that good of a public speaker. If I were God in this moment, I'd be like, oh my me, Moses. <laughs> Seriously, what else do you need? Like, I've shown you and done everything for you. Thankfully, I'm not God. So God goes on to say in verse 11, Listen, Moses, who gave human beings their mouth in the first place? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? I am who came up with all that. Now, he says, verse 12, go, please, Moses, for real, it's time to go. And I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. I'm in this with you, Moses. You are not going alone. I'm with you. I gave you your mouth. I can teach you what to say and what to come out of it. So again, God's like, we good, Moses? We good? You got, are you ready? You got all of this? And then finally, exhausted from exhausting all of his elaborate excuses, Moses finally just comes out and says it in verse 13. But Moses said to God, I'm sorry, God. You're going to have to send someone else. I can't do it. Please send someone else, not me. I can't. You got the wrong guy. You got to send someone else. 
Now, do you see what's happening here in this whole dialogue that Moses is having with I am, with the God of the universe? Do you see what's happening? What's important to catch here is the context of when this is happening. Because Moses would face resistance, but he hadn't faced it yet out there, right? He would certainly have to face some resistance when he goes back to meet with Pharaoh, right, and all his leaders. He would face resistance when he was a part of leading the Israelites out of Egypt. He hadn't yet faced the resistance. This is long before he had even gotten to the moment where the greatest military might in the world was breathing down his neck, and he's stuck at a sea, and he doesn't know where to go next, and God parts the sea for him to go through. This is before, actually, Moses leads these people wandering through the wilderness for 40 years. This is before they weren't sure what they were going to eat or what they were going to drink, and God provided for them daily fresh food, fresh supply for the journey. This is actually before all of that. Moses would face resistance, but the greatest resistance he is facing in this moment is coming from where? Himself. He hadn't done any of that stuff yet. It's all coming from within. At this moment in the story, this very moment, Moses is a nobody doing nothing until God says that he's a somebody who's going to do great things. And all he can think to reply with, to respond with, is resistance to God. Just think for a second about all that we just heard Moses say in that little journey of inner resistance that he had. Look at the excuses and the reasons he comes up with why he can't do what God is actually calling him to do. First one is, why me? God, why me? Why would you choose me? Who am I that you would choose me? And then what if it doesn't actually work, God? Like, how do, we, how do I even know that any of this is going to actually work? Then he goes on to say, what if I'm not good enough? What if I, I can't do it like you need me to do it, God? Then he eventually just comes to the conclusion without God having to really say much of anything, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough to do this. And then finally he resolves to say, you know what? Not me. Just pick someone else. Not me. Now, look at that list. Any of those sound at all familiar to any of us? Ever find yourself going through some version of one or two or three or four of those? When you're facing something that is big or an area of growth with God that you want to move forward in or a, a dream or hope or desire you have for your life or for your family and you find yourself saying a version of one of those things? I, I, I have just about every single one of them. I have. In fact, psychologists have a name uh, for this type of behavior, this type of uh, belief. I mean, they have names for just about everything we do, but they have a name for this. In fact, they call it self-limiting beliefs. Maybe you've heard that before. You've read about self-limiting beliefs. Th th these are just what Moses is displaying here for us, are just self-limiting beliefs. They are the stories that we tell ourselves about ourselves. They're the stories that we say to ourselves about ourselves. They are all the reasons why we can't do what it is that we're trying to do or why we won't be who God says we are. They're self-limiting beliefs. And not surprisingly, most of your self-limiting beliefs are actually formed in childhood. Shocker. Most of them are formed from your parents or from a teacher, a coach, an authority figure. Sometimes they're formed by friends and the words that they say to you or how they treat you or bullies on the schoolyard or someone who broke your heart can say something to you or treat you in a way that locks in for you. It's a moment that becomes a narrative for your life. Sometimes they come from a dramatic or a traumatic event like the death of someone that you love or sometimes they come from defining realities like growing up in a home of divorce or growing up with health struggles or issues. They're all, they come from all kinds of different places. Most of them, though, in fact, 
are formed in our early days, in our younger days, and in fact, they become the filter through which you see yourself, and you see the world, and you see others, and ultimately, you see God. And even though these self-limiting beliefs that all of us have, and just real quick pause here, if you're like, dude, I don't have any self-limiting beliefs, I would say that maybe your arrogance might be one. I'm not, because I don't know you, so I don't know, but you might want to look into that, right? All of us have them. Can we just agree to that? All of us have them. And while they do not serve us well at all as adults, we keep going about our everyday lives looking for evidence to validate them. Subconsciously, we do it all the time. We look for people who will validate our self-limiting beliefs. I don't know what yours are for you. There's, again, there's all kinds of of different self-limiting beliefs that all of us walk around this world with. Maybe one for you is, you know, I, I'm just not very smart, right? School was always a struggle for me. My grades seem to be evidence uh, to the fact that I'm just, I'm just not very smart. And so you've believed that your whole life. And it's been the reason for which you don't go after things in life or after things at work or why you think of yourself as less than, because I'm not very smart. Or maybe for you, it's, I'm not worthy of real love. I'm just not worthy. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how I've been treated. I'm not worthy of real love. Or maybe one for you is people can't be trusted because in the end, all they're going to do is hurt me. People can't be trusted. Or people only love me for what I do for them. If I stopped doing for, and you just fill in the blank, my kids, my wife, my parents, my boss, if I stopped doing what I do for them, they wouldn't love me. They may even leave me. Or, maybe for you is, uh, if I'm not number one, I'm no one. If I'm not the best, then I am the worst. Or maybe one for you is, I am my past. I'm stuck in a moment from years ago. I am just the sum equivalent of all the bad things I've done in my past, and there's no getting better for me. Maybe yours is, you're, one of yours is, I'm an addict. That's all I am. That's the lens through which I see my life and see myself. That's all I am. I'm an addict. Maybe for you, one is, um, if people really knew me, they wouldn't love me. If people really knew me, like if we talk about the small groups thing, you're like, yeah, if I got in one of those and they really knew me, they wouldn't love me. We all have them. I could walk you through, I've got several, could walk you through mine. One of mine that came up uh, in the last 10 years or so, it came up for me, it's related to the I'm not deep and I'm not smart, or stories that I've uh, told myself most of my life, was around writing books. Uh, so I like to think uh, that God has gifted me to write books, but as soon as I sit down to do it, I like to tell myself that I'm not a writer. And I was working out some of the struggle of just, I kept telling myself, I'm not a writer, I'm not a writer, I'm not a writer. And this is in the midst of trying to finish my last book, which is great timing uh, as far as I'm concerned. And so I was processing this with my counselor, and uh, I had a really interesting moment. So my counselor, in the middle of uh, me, you know, just wanting him to be present with me, uh, pulls out his phone. And I'm like, dude, I'm not paying you for this. Put your phone away. And he pulls out his phone, and he goes, hey, just real quick, how do you write your messages? How do you, like, write because you preach messages almost every week. How do you write those? I said, well, I manuscript them out. I literally like write them 
word for word. Then I got all kinds of, you know, scribbles and things that I put on them. So I write them out word for word. He goes, how long typically are your messages? I said, I don't know. They're typically somewhere around eight pages, right? Unless I'm going long that week, they're about eight pages. How long have you been doing that for? And he's putting numbers in his calculator. I go, I don't know. I've been doing this for 20 years, you know, about this. How many times a year? So I gave him the number about how many times a year. He's like, mm-hmm, all right. All right, so based on my calculations, this is my counselor talking to me. He said, based on my calculations, over the last 20 years, you've written 6,400 pages of material. And I was like, I don't see where you're going with this. <laughs> he said, how long is the average book? I said, I don't know, 200 pages. He's like, so in the last 20 years, you've written the equivalent of 32 books, but you're not a writer. And I'm like, I'm not a good writer. I mean, like, do you know, this is what we do. This is the power of self-limiting beliefs, is even in the face of reality, I'm still going to try and find evidence to back up the story that I have about myself. Do you see how, how much this can hold you back from what God actually has for you in your life? These things go deep and they have great, great power. And again, they're not out there. They're actually in here. All the stuff out there, your, your circumstances, the challenges, the obstacles you face, you know what all that is? It's just context. It doesn't have any actual power other than the power that you give it. It's all context. It's an invitation for you to really determine what you really believe to be true about who you are, and more specifically, about who God says you are. And I, I know you're thinking like, okay, it's easy for you to say, but you don't know my boss. You don't know my family. You don't know my industry. You don't know what it's like. Like, these things are real. And you're right, I don't know them. But what I do know is the stories I tell myself about myself and how amazing of a writer I actually am at those stories. And I do know the power that those have had over my life, stories that I've been backing up and looking for evidence for, for years. And I do know, I can see it right here on display in Moses, the power of what can happen even when you are face-to-face with God, having a conversation with God, to still go back to that inner resistance. So what do you do with that? What do you do How do you win that kind of war that's actually within? How do you win the war within? Well, I think that there are all kinds of great uh, books that you can read. I think there are guides to help you. I think there are gurus you can seek out, and some of them are really, really, really helpful. But what I would say is that for those of you who are in a relationship with God, you, you say, yep, I, am, I have chosen him as my way. You are in a relationship with God. The truth is you actually already have something within you to remind you of the reality of who you actually are. You actually have the Holy Spirit of God, not in a bush sitting a couple feet away, in you, reminding you of the truth of who you actually are. You don't have to go out there to get the truth of who you are. It's actually already in you. And God wants to remind you of all the things that the Holy Spirit does. One of the most powerful things the Holy Spirit does is remind you of who you are. 
tells you who you are again and again and again. The context may change, the circumstances may change, but the Holy Spirit of God keeps saying, no, this is who you are. And this is what Moses actually missed in this moment. It would take him much of his life to get this reality that you have actually access to right now because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. That you are, now listen, don't, I don't want you to miss this. Here's something you can say to yourself. This is what the Holy Spirit is saying to you right now in this moment and every moment of your life. You can remind yourself of this reality and it's simply this. I am who I am says I am. That's all I need to know in this moment. I am who I am says I am. I know it sounds a little like Popeye, but go along with it for just a minute. I am who the great I am says I am. I am who he says I am. I don't know what you're saying about me. I know what I've got going around in my head, but here's the truth of who I am. The Holy Spirit reminds me in this moment, I am who I am says I am. And maybe that's the whole reason that you came right now this morning. You're not even sure about God. You don't know where you're at with God. Maybe you're mad at God. It's been a long time you've been with God. You need to be reminded today of this reality. You are who God says you are. The author and perfecter of your life and faith says, and you can claim this today, I am loved. Say it. I am loved. I am loved. I am chosen. Do you know that the Spirit of God reminds you you've been chosen, adopted into this family, brought in to the royal holy family of God? I'm chosen by God. In fact, the Bible tells you, the Holy Spirit reminds me, I'm a child of God. I have full access to the family benefits that come with being in the family of God. I'm a child of God. In fact, the Bible says, I am a reflection of God, an image bearer of God in this world, that when people look at me, they get a glimpse of God. That is who I am. In fact, the Bible says that I am actually handcrafted by God. I'm a work of art. I am unique. There's no one else like me. In fact, the Bible says to me, that I am a new creation, being made new every single day. The Holy Spirit doesn't want you to stay stuck and defined by your past. You are, in fact, a new creation. In fact, the Bible says the Holy Spirit reminds us you are gifted by God, that you actually have supernatural gifting to do far more than you could ever do on your own. In fact, you know, the Bible says you are an overcomer. You are an overcomer. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. Anytime you face that inner resistance... I'm an overcomer. I'm an overcomer. God, you've given me all I need for life and godliness. It's in me because of the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In fact, that's why you can say, and the Holy Spirit wants to remind you, I am more than a conqueror, far more than a conqueror, because I didn't do it on my own. He did it for me. And now he's doing this new thing in me. I am who I am, says I am. Do you know that? Do you need to be reminded of that today? Phil, you are a voice to the city. And you faced resistance. But you've been faithful. You are who God says you are. Zoe, you are the walking embodiment of the fruit of the Spirit. You are. And I'm sure there's been people in your life that have told you all kinds of other things. You are who I am, says you are. Brian, you're a servant. You embody the heart of God. Faithful. You serve when no one else sees. With joy. You and Baird both, look at you sitting next to each other. So faithful. Teresa, you are a discipler. You disciple. 
you raise up a generation. Tony, you are faithful. You are a minister. Wherever God has you, that's true of you. And I wish I could go on and look every one of you in the eye. I wish I could. You'd have to put up with the tears in my eyes. Because I just want you to know that you are who God says you are. Justin, you have overcome. You're a great dad and a good man. And I wish I could tell you. But my words would fall short. The Spirit of God wants to tell you, remind you today, you are who he says you are. I don't care what they said about you. Listen, it doesn't matter what you keep telling yourself about yourself. You are who I am says you are. And so what would happen? What do you think? How do you win this war within? Can you imagine if you, if you walked into each day claiming your true identity? This is who I am. This is who God says I am. I may not be there yet. I may not have it all figured out yet. But I do know this. I'm a child of God. I'm loved by God, chosen by God. I believe that would have the power to radically reframe how you walk into your day. And that it will have the, the effect of transforming and renewing your mind, opening your heart to the greater reality of God's love for you. And here's the best part. It will probably change the words you say, the way you treat others, the things you do or don't do. It works its way out like that. So... Here's what I want us to do. We have a homework assignment for you this week, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to grab a little post-it note when you get home today, and I want you to just write down one of those truths of who God says you are. Who God says you are. I am loved, right? I am chosen. I am more than a conqueror, and you need to place this post-it note wherever you most need to see it, okay? So for you, if you got all kinds of self-limiting beliefs about your appearance, your body, your being lovable, then maybe the best place to put it is right on your mirror. So when you wake up in the morning, you go, God, that is true. I'm going to hear all kinds of other things today. This is true from you. Or maybe for you, it's at work. You need to be reminded, you know, I am an image bearer of God. What I say matters. How I act matters. That I am actually a vessel of peace. I'm a reconciler is what God calls me. Right? So maybe you need to write that down. Place it right on your laptop so you can see it. Right on your computer at work. Or maybe you just need to go put it on your boss's door right in front of them so they can see it. Remind, <laughs> little passive aggressive, but wherever you need to place it. Maybe you are, uh, have your hands full with kids in this season and you just feel like, man, I can't even get my head straight. You put it right on your steering wheel if you're driving around doing errands with them and it reminds you that you are a child of God and he loves you and loves them far more than you know. Where do you need, what do you need to put down to be reminded of? And where do you need to, to put it today? This is how you win the war within. That greatest resistance that comes from within you, you speak truth to it. The truth of who I am says you are. Because listen, here's the reality that I, I don't want you to miss. That, that Jesus in me is, is far greater than anything that comes at me. The power and presence of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ in you, is far greater than anything that comes at you. And so I, I just think it's God's perfect timing that we would pause for a moment before we close out our time today to be reminded of that. We need to be reminded, so I need to be reminded so often. And so what we're going to do to help you get to be reminded of the reality that's made possible for Jesus to be in you 
is we're going to receive communion together. What a perfect symbol for us. And so I'm going to ask our amazing host team to go ahead and pass out the elements. They have a uh, little piece of bread that you're going to hold on to and a little cup that you're going to hold on to. And all I want you to do is just hold on to them. That's it. So all you have to do is kind of get it and hold on to it as you get it. And here's the cool thing. We do this regularly as a church to pause and to remind us of the reality of, of Jesus and what he has done for us, what he wants to do in us, what he can do through us. But this is what's so cool about this. And maybe you've never even stopped before to think about this. We take these elements regularly. But what I love about it is we don't take a piece of bread and take a cup and put it up on some shelf somewhere and go, isn't that cool? Look what Jesus has done. Put it up on some altar somewhere and worship the bread and the cup versus the one whose life it represents. What we do is we actually take them in. What a cool reminder. The body and blood of Christ in me. Jesus in me. That's a radically redefining reality. That Jesus would do all of this for me and that he actually can be in me when I'm in relationship with him. And so I want you to hold on to the bread and the cup. I'm going to walk you through taking them in a moment. But just think about the power of what this represents. Christ in me. Take a moment of reflection as we pass out the elements, then I'll lead us through them together.